Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Of all the puzzles that confront both science and religion, the biggest one is, how did the world begin? Where did it come from? There is no doubt that a world exists because we live in one right now, so it had to come from somewhere. Today we really have two stories of this creation mystery. One story comes from religion, and most of us know a major source of one religious story is the book of Genesis. The other story comes from the field of science, and the scientific story goes by the name of the Big Bang. One says God created the universe. The other story says, well, maybe the universe created itself according to some scientists. So on this show today, we're going to talk about this big question with Pastor Bob Richardson, who is an author, entertainer, motivational speaker. He served in the U.S. Army as a military intelligence corps specialist during the Cold War. He has a Bachelor of Biblical Theology from Florida Beacon Bible College and Seminary. He's also the senior pastor at Interbay Community Church in Tampa, Florida. He's the author of several books on theology, including The Many Shades of Joy. So Pastor Richardson has done a lot of thinking on this big creation story, and so we're going to get right at it. Welcome to the show. Bob, how you doing? I am blessed. Thank you so much for having me. Well, good. Well, let's let's set the table here a little bit first, which is what is what is the story of creation according to the Bible? Because we're going to have to compare the biblical story with the scientific story. So first, let's let's describe these two stories. How how does the Bible describe the beginning of it all? Uh, it's really interesting, especially as I was listening to your introduction and how you were talking about there's two different stories. The, there's the, the Christian creation story and then the Big Bang story. I just uh, this past week did an interview on Fox News Live, and it was, we were discussing there how the two unite and science embraces the the christian story in fact it was actually a catholic priest uh who first came up with the theory of the big bang and so the big bang isn't really against the bible it doesn't go against the bible in fact the bible the big bang theory confirms the biblical account of creation Okay, so we're going to have to get into this a little bit because they 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 have a lot of differences on on the face on the face of the theories. First of all, in the book of Genesis, which was written, I don't know what uh, six six hundred to a thousand years uh, B.C., 
are you saying that the authors of the book of Genesis sort of anticipated the Big Bang Theory, or are you saying that the authors of the book of Genesis uh, glimpsed the same truth as today's scientists, but put the story in different words? I'd actually put that in the other direction and say that the scientists of uh, the last century have finally opened their eyes to the truth of what the author of Genesis had been saying for the last 2,000 years. Okay, and so, and so where, where are the commonalities here? Where is the overlap between the biblical story of creation in the book of Genesis? Yeah, okay, it starts right at the very beginning, and it's probably the most important verse in the Bible. It starts, it's one that everybody's familiar with, because I'm sure just about everybody has at one time picked up a Bible and said, okay, I'm going to read this, and they get through about... Genesis, maybe the second chapter, and they give up. But the first chapter they read, these words everyone has read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's that's where I hear a big bang, right there. God created the heavens. If there was a big bang, there had to be a big banger. And uh, all our laws of physics show us that it had that that something had to come out of it. Some, there has to be an, a, a first cause, and that first cause was that Big Bang. Well, one of, one of the, the, the criticisms of the creation story in the book of Genesis, I believe, from modern scientists, and really also from the evolutionists, is that it appears as if uh, the God of the Bible waved his hands, or her hands, and outsprung a, the fully formed earth and the heavens. Are, are, are you saying that the creation, are you saying that, uh, that there was no evolution, that there was no, because the Big Bang, as you know, what they say in the Big Bang Theory is that the world began as a singularity, as a little particle Correct. of infinite density, and then exploded. Correct. Are you saying that the book of Genesis uses the same sort of uh, development from a small particle or infinite density? Yes, I am. In fact, look, look at the, the second verse, you see, because we have no idea how much time took place between the first verse which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the second verse that says, the earth was without form and void. So God created the heavens, and the heavens is really space, okay? And the earth is really matter, the material stuff. So God created space, and he created matter, and then because it says, in the beginning, he created time. So there's time, space, and matter. The three come in continuum together. And then the second verse says, and the earth was without form and it was void. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over. It could have been 13.7 billion years from the time that God created the heavens and the earth to the time where his Spirit was hovering over this planet. So, can you see how science and, and creationism can come together and embrace one another? Well, I frankly don't, I don't see, the, I don't see the, the commonality yet, but I'm going to give you a chance to convince me, although maybe I'm not the, the real person you need to convince. But, but let, me, let me just say right from the, the start here 
that plain, plain devil's advocate, it's very, very clear in the book of Genesis that the, the entity, the thing triggering creation is God. God God yeah, that, that makes God, no excuse God, for that. Right, right, there's no doubt about that. Well, are you saying that scientists, that the, that the theorists uh, who advance the Big Bang theory are agreeing with you that God triggered the Big Bang? The, the, the physicists who advanced, who came up with the Big Bang theory were Christians. Right. They were, uh, George Latimer, he was... Uh, uh, the the physicist that that came up with the whole idea he w- he was embraced by the pope and the pope everybody was real excited about and, and in fact I was reading something on your website how uh, because of the whole realization that this big bang theory needed a a perfect designer for everything to come out so perfectly uh, that, that that they had the scientists non believing scientists had to start working at a way to show how the Big Bang, to shoot down the Big Bang Theory. And so they came up with that, uh, remember the idea where there was the uh, expansion, Big Bang, and so it expanded real quick, and then it stopped, and now everything is in perfect order. Anything that they can do to shut off the realization that there's a designer. Right, well... But it was Christian. Science right. and science and, and religion... Uh, okay, let me rephrase that. Science and the Bible really embrace each other. I look at uh, evolution as more of a religion than as a science. Well, well let's, let's, get, let's, let's be real clear here for a second, because it's, it's common knowledge that one of the standard criticisms of creationism is that there are people in, in that uh, field of thought that believe that the universe is something like six thousand years old, and and you and I'm sure you're aware of this. And it's and I forget who who actually counted this up, but somebody went back and counted up the various generations from the Book of Genesis to the present, and they came up with sixty six hundred years or something like that. Are yeah, you, and you know, were you not confused with me about that? Yeah. I was going to ask you because whether you believe that that is correct, or, you, or do you think that the 6,000-year uh, theory is just wrong? Let me, I'm sure you've, you've read a little bit of the book of Genesis. So you read the account with Adam and Eve in the garden. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm and so you realize that while Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was no death until Adam um, sinned. Well, we have no idea how many hundreds or thousands or millions of years that Adam and Eve were just, like, chilling in the garden with God. There's no record of time before the fall of man. The only time that comes in uh, before that is, is the quote-unquote six yams of creation, which the word yam is an era of time. It has nothing to do with a 24-hour day. Right, so bottom line is, do you think that the book of Genesis can be read to anticipate or to be consistent with the 13, 14 billion year old universe that modern scientists say we live in? Yes. Okay. So, okay, I don't see, and, and see what, what, what I'm trying to encourage people to do is for believers to embrace science. 
See, what happens, and, and it's happened to me for a number of years, I get so hung up with the dogmas of the stuff that I was taught in Sunday school class that I close my mind to anything uh, secular or scientific. And then I go to university and I discover all of this billions and billions of stars. I was a big Carl Sagan fan, and, uh, and I, my mind is open to all of this great knowledge of philosophers, and, 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 it, and it, I, I, it made me run from my fundamental beliefs. And it's not until you actually seek the truth. See, what, if you run out on, your, on, on these uh, 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 dogmatic beliefs, whether they're fundamental religious beliefs or, or whether they're their uh, liberal academic beliefs. If you call that, if you cling on to that truth, if it's, if it's the truth, there's so much more truth than we can. See, we give up on seeking the truth. Right. One thing I know is that I'm not 100 percent right, but I'm going to keep looking. Well, I think th I think that's really I think that's really a good attitude. And what there there's some sharp distinctions that observers and most of these observers would be from the scientific community but there's several lines of criticism that they levy against what I will call the religious account of creation okay one of them is that religion is dogmatic that if, exactly. that, just that, like if that. it's that if it's written in the Bible it must be true and there is no questioning about those sacred truths or those sentences or those sentences and science at least the ideal form of science is supposed to be uh, objective uh, an objective form of truth seeking it's supposed to be uh, bias, a systematic bias, method of discovering bias, the truth bias yeah. free right bias free and so that's always been one of the sharp distinctions between science and religion and what you're saying i think bob is that you are encouraging uh, believers or folks or Christians and maybe others and others in the um, who are religious to be more open-minded to the findings of science because hey you might actually find something in there that's that supports your beliefs is that is that what you're saying I'm also saying to the scientific world that if for them to be more open-minded and for them that not not to be so dogmatic. My uh, oldest daughter, she's uh, 28 right, years old right now, and just uh, finished uh, working on her master's degree, and so she knows everything. Right, right. As I did when I was 28. Right. <laughs> right. But, and and but, but sometimes you can get in such great discussions, especially the problem is that you hang on to your view, right. and you don't open your mind to a possibility. Right. See, and, and science really came out of uh, godly men, Christian men, men who really studied the Bible. It came out of them really seeking the truth. And science in no way has ever contradicted the Bible. If anything, every field of science confirms the Bible to be true. From archaeology to the, the laws of thermodynamics, uh, to, to the social sciences, everything comes together, and if on both sides, if we wouldn't be so dogmatic, if, if the evolutionists wouldn't be so dogmatic and staunch trying to uh, deny the existence of a creator, and if uh, uh, the, the people in the fundamental 
side wouldn't be so dogmatic and, and say that no, it was a six twenty-four hour day period, and there, there's no other way around. If people would just open their minds to embrace each other's ideas and seek together to find the truth, then it would be the truth would be uh, so much less uh, biased. Because even even on the the quote unquote scientific side, as you're saying, even though it's supposed to be unbiased. It's, there's like 70% of unbelievers who are trying to verify their disbelief in God. Well, there's, well, there's no doubt that there's bias and dogmatism on both sides of the fence. Correct. This, this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Pastor Bob Richardson about the intriguing, exciting topic of does science support the, the creation stories of the Bible. Now, let me, while we're on this topic, Bob, I want to draw another sharp distinction that, that makes me think that there's trouble here. The, another sharp distinction between science and religion is that science believes in what they would call natural explanations, and by natural they would mean they do not want to have recourse to a supernatural cause I, or miracles. They want to be able to explain the physical world, what we see, feel, touch, and hear, with only natural explanations. And to me, what you're saying uh, it doesn't, is not consistent with that because what you're saying is that the science is supporting the Bible when the Bible, read by its terms, says that God, a supernatural entity, created the universe. So how do you how do you reconcile scientists who want to have only natural explanations with a Bible which relies upon a supernatural explanation? I I, I go back to Carl Sagan okay. and the billions. Of billions of stars. I remember lying on the hood of a car on a beautiful summer night in upstate New York, and we're watching the plan, planes land on the small landing strip as the planes came over us, and we're looking into the night sky, just looking at all of those billions of stars, and thinking, do you think we're, the, we're alone here? You see, and if you think about it, with all those, I mean, we see all these billions of stars, and half of those billions of stars that we see are actually galaxies with billions of stars in them. So there's billions and billions and billions of, of, of stars and planets out there. Well, what if? Well, I, what I, if? Yeah, I don't think. What that, if? Right. I don't think that there's. Any, we are the only one. Right, I don't think that there's any doubt, and I would agree with you that when you ponder the wonders of the universe, it naturally leads to a sense that there's something more behind the scenes. I personally agree with you, on, at least on the, on the face of it, that I am not, I completely agree that, that there is a supernatural, but I really think the supernatural is natural, but I, but I do think exactly. that there's, I do there's think, the point. I do think that there's more than meets the eye. There has to be. There's I'm not, more than I'm, we can comprehend. Well, I'm not disagreeing. We don't even know what's in our own ocean, right. let alone what's out in space. Right. 
Right, but not every leading scientist. In fact, the, the leading scientists, such as Stephen Hawking and, and Lawrence Krauss. Lawrence Krauss wrote that book, A Universe from Nothing. And, of course, uh, Stephen Hawking, we all know him uh, from his, his uh, cl really classic book, A Brief History of Time. But he's also the one that uh, wrote a number of columns for the Wall Street Journal in the last year and a half, basically saying uh, that science doesn't need God to explain the universe because science has the multiverse. And I don't know whether you... Ah, now that's really cool, too, because I, I, I want us to get a picture of this, okay? Because I, I wrote an article about this last week, and I, I was, as I was writing, I realized I was uh, sitting at my desk, which is in the corner of my, my, my room, which is really kind of in the corner of the house, and the, my house sits on the corner of this uh, nice uh, piece of property, which is in the corner of a small city, and then as I was flying over, you could barely see that city, and as we got higher, I could hardly see the whole Tampa Bay area, and realized how small that one little area was that I was sitting at, and then you go out and you get a picture of us in, in, from a satellite, and you see, look down on the earth, and you see how small that is, and then you look up into the galaxy, and you see the Milky Way, and you realize we're just one little small little dot net. Milky Way, and then you realize how many billions of galaxies there are, and then you look at the universe, and you take a picture of that universe, you step outside of it, and we're just like one bubble in a bubble bath of universes. You know how amazing that is? Just the concept of it? Well, I'm not... Are you saying that you also agree with the multiverse concept, that the multiverse is also... Uh, I'm saying, that? is anything impossible for God? Well, some people would say that, I know. Well, well, first of all... No matter how big Stephen Hawking could think, no matter how big our imagination, imaginations can be, God is bigger than that. We're not going to take God by surprise. Well... Our ways are not his ways. Okay, so, I think what you're saying is that a, a scientist, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but a scientist of any ilk, of any education, of any stature, who looks at the evidence objectively, and specifically that means, for example, looking up at the stars, looking at the order in the universe, looking at the way everything fits together and works together, looking at the harmonies, etc., any scientist would, would necessarily need to come to the conclusion that there is that there is a supernatural being behind the scenes? Is that is that what you're saying? I think what I'm saying is they'd have to come to the realization that there is the possibility. Okay. Because if they rule out the possibility of there being a supernatural uh, uh, designer to it all, then they're, that's like walking into a parking lot full of cars. And I'm sure you've heard this one before. And saying, well, I don't see my car here, therefore my car must not be here. Right. Right, right. Well, I think I think that that is I think that's a very good point you're making. I, and I and I would I would agree with you. And I think that one way I look at this is that scientists, in general, they want to delay the resort to a supernatural creator as long as possible. 
They want to see if they could figure it out themselves with the formulas, the equations, the laws of physics, and all the theories. They, they don't want to give in. And my feeling about this, Bob, is that they think it's somehow unscientific to give in, to somehow give up the search for a natural explanation by saying, well, God did it. And, and, you and I believe it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I believe you're right with that. And, and it's also the same on the, on the other side where it becomes um, dogmatic or religion. Because I, I have a big problem with religion, too, because religion really just tries to, to rebind people after they've been set free into to man's tenets and man's ideas. God wants us to seek the truth. He doesn't want you to, to sit back and listen to what some man says about how some man interpreted the Bible. He wants you to dig into it and find the truth out for yourself. He wants you to, to say, okay, if somebody uh, was miraculously cured from cancer and, and uh, the doctors say it was a miracle, God wants us to find out how that miracle happened so that we can make that miracle happen for the next person and the next person and the next person. So if you look at it through a scientific mind, you want to be able to reproduce the miraculous. You want the miraculous to become normal. Right. Because with God, the miraculous is normal. But you see, I, I'm going to ask you a, a, a tough question here because this is something that has, frankly, bothered me through the years when anybody says something like, well, that's what God wants. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do that. God wants you to open you know, ask questions. How do you know that that's what God wants? Let me ask you this. Hmm. Why do you have the radio show? Well... One reason is because I get to ask the questions, but but yeah, but no, I, would be, exactly. I would be I would be happy I would be happy to answer that question. But first, but here's my problem, Bob, is that how do you know how? I, not that I I don't disagree with you from a purely objective standpoint. If you want to if you want to create a you know create a a, a uh, simulated universe and you want to have it work out good, well, one of the things that you probably want to program in there is to make sure people question the beliefs they hold. Because, yes. because if you don't question the beliefs you hold, you might wind up uh, walking off of, off of a gangplank or, or off of a cliff. Yeah, it, be a bunch of lemmings. Right, right. It, hap it happens all the time. So, so if what you're saying, and I think this is what you're saying, that it is important for, for the, the, the Christian believers and for religious believers generally not to be dogmatic, to keep their minds open. And it's also important for scientists to do the same thing from a different perspective. And I think that's a very important point. I think that, and, and, point, that point is very important. It, it really is, and especially because when you, when you get people like Stephen Hawking, who is so brilliant, and yet he becomes dogmatic in his belief that there's absolutely no way there could be a designer behind this perfect design. Uh, why would anybody choose? Why would you choose? Well, well, here not to believe in, in, in something beyond yourself. Well, and it has to be a choice that they're making. 
right. because there is no proof. They, they know there's no way they can prove the non-existence of God. Well, you see here. So it's just simply a choice. Right, right. But there, there's a there's a big problem here that you that you're probably aware of that I think drives a lot of the scientific uh, opposition to religious explanations, and that is the the whole issue of cause and effect. And it's very similar to dualism or the ghost in the machine. And, and let, me, let me briefly explain to the listener what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a very, very uh, common and very important problem in philosophy and science, and that is how can a spiritual thing, su- such as God, which is assumed to be a spiritual thing, how can spirit affect matter? How can, it's sort of like, how can air affect the rock of Gibraltar? And we've all, this is the ghost in the machine. The ghost is, is the mind or consciousness, is this ephemeral substance. How can a spirit, a ghost, impact matter? And I think, Bob, that is another big, big problem that we need to deal with here. And before you answer that question, this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Pastor Bob Richardson about God, the Bible, and, and the scientific story of creation, how there are commonalities between these two stories. And Bob, I just asked you this, this important question, which is how do we explain how... God, a spirit, affects matter. How does that happen? If you think about it metaphysically, I suppose you'd have to, because it has to go beyond what we can really see. Because if God created the heavens and the earth, then he's actually a part of his creation. Much like... uh, one of your blood cells in your body, it's floating along and on its own. It has its its uh, own essence, but it's a part of the body. I think what we have to realize is that everything that we see, everything we breathe, everything that we touch, we get so wrapped up in the here and now that we realize that outside of this, we're all, everything we see is, is atoms, it's particles. And so we, we, we get so wrapped up in it, we don't realize that it's all one, we're all interconnected. And that's how the, the designer, the, the creator, that's how God can interject in areas and, and intervene at times, especially when, when people come together in corporate prayer or... or or people come together uh, and, and will something, because we've been created in God's image, and, and God willed the planets into being. And because we're part of that creation, we can create things. We can discover new things. We right. can be a right. part of God. And that's right. what he right. desires us to be, because we feel so separate from him. But he really wants us to know that he's part of us. We're all in this together. 
Right, but but and but instead of banging right. heads against creation, instead of banging heads against uh, the 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 problem, we we need to incorporate every chance, every opportunity, every uh, bit of unlimited potential each of us has within us. The problem is, is that we still have this mystery, which is how can a spiritual be- being effect, impact, change, create, alter matter? Because what you said, you said at one point that God wills the planets and the earth. Well, the scientists, and I, I'm, I'm being a devil's advocate here, a devil's advocate, yeah, because, because these are important questions, and these kinds of questions are the ones that scientists have and levy against the creationist or the religious account. And this, this is a big one, which, as I said, scientists aren't, gonna, aren't going to accept an explanation that simply says, well, God willed it. Because the, question is, well, right. the next question is, well, how did he do that? How did the Spirit if, make it happen? And, and it's fine if we don't know. And, I, and I, I don't know, I don't expect you to answer the question because it is one of these mysteries, but, and, but this kind of problem, this kind of issue, i.e., how does Spirit effect matter, is the very kind of issue that drives the leading scientists to say that's not a scientific explanation, i.e., God did it. That's, that, is, that is dogma. We, we well, want I to... Don't we want to that. I'm, I'm having trouble getting my mind wrapped around what you're saying, because I guess it's in the definition of Spirit. Well, what, um, what is in the I, 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 I sometimes look at, at Spirit as as some of the, the like the thoughts that we have, they're 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 not. There's definitely no material uh, matter in our thoughts. You can't put a finger on a thought. Uh, you don't. The best way thing that you can do to materialize a thought is to speak that thought into being, and then those uh, words that you utterances we put value to uh, end up moving us to create change. The, the spirit is, is always there. The spirit world is always there. Well, it's uh, just you, you can't see it. You can't measure it. It's well, kind of like your, your thoughts. You're, you're, you're thinking so much faster than I'm even speaking, and yet we can't weigh your thoughts. Well, how we many, can't measure them. Th- here's, here's, another way, here's another way to look at it, and that is in the paranormal which we've had a couple guests on recently who talk about the paranormal and the and mind over matter for example it's a it's a uh-huh. it's a very similar problem the question for for the leading scientists are or the question is how can the mind affect matter how can wishing for the dice to come up seven how wh- where's the where's the force Where's the measurable power that is going from a mind to the dice that actually have them come up seven? And, and it's exactly the same issue on a much grander scale, which is how can spirit ha- make something change in a material world? Okay? Now, it's a devil's advocate question, Bob, because doesn't it assume... That we're, that we're not spiritual beings to begin with, because that would answer the question. That would solve the mystery. 
And and you know. Well, in, in, but in fact, when, what we really discover is that we like God are triune beings. We're we're body, we're spirit, and we're mind. So we we've got these three aspects about us, and that's why there's so much struggle within us all the time, and that's, and that's a good thing, because if we were just all physical beings, we would be, it would be, we'd resort to brutality. But we do have the spiritual side of us, which wants us to rise above, it wants us to press forward, it wants us to fight against the second law of thermodynamics. How can you, uh, knowing that the second law of thermodynamics is, is prevalent throughout the universe, how can you say that, that the, the, the world is not falling apart when we as spiritual beings refuse to accept that falling apart? And we're going to press forward, and we're going to make this world a better place. Instead of letting it fall apart, things are going to be better for our children and our children's children. And what happens when you give up that is you let the second law of thermodynamics take effect, and you let everything go to hell in handbasket, excuse the expression. What we have to do as both physical and spiritual beings is we have to press forward and make things a little bit better for our children and for our children's children. Leave this earth a little better than it was when we got here. Now, Now, where do you come down on the question of is the world... Is the universe one? Is 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 the universe a unity? You said let's 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 assu- let's assu- let's assume that God did create the universe. Then is is God one and the universe one, or are there two separate things? Okay, two separate things. Is God? Well, I know that everything in the universe, and that's my thing. Is that's why it's called the universe. Right. Is because it's dependent upon everything else within the universe. Right. Well, would you agree? And so, in order for there to be a creator of the universe, he would have to be outside of the universe. Oh, you. Th- so you. Th- uh, okay. Now, well, let me let me let me get clear here. Are you saying that God? What what you what you are calling God is 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 outside of the physical universe? Is not part of it? Is a separate? Is in a separate? He's- is no, problem? he is okay. part of it. Okay, he is part of it. So, so it, how is God the same as the universe, or is it separate? I mean, uh, I'm going to go with the 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 realization that every part of the universe is a part of God. Right. Everything that well, well, this is why I'm asking. Is in creation right. came out of God, right? Right. So it's a okay. part of Him. Okay. Well, here's full disclosure. The reason why I'm asking this question is that you you said earlier that we are really three separate uh, aspects, or there's three separate aspects of of what we are. There's body, soul. I'm sorry, body, spirit, and mind. And Correct. I I like and I personally prefer the view that those terms, and we could add other terms in there. We could put soul. And emotion, all sorts of things. That they're different aspects of the yeah. same. That they're different aspects of the same thing. Because what I and this is a problem we have with language, Bob. This is my opinion. We have, we have a problem when we when we start separating things. Like God created the universe, and some people would say and might assume, well, God is in a different realm. You know, he's he's on one side of the lead wall 
of the three-foot leaden wall, and the universe is on the other side. Of course, that makes no sense, because then how... Yeah, and that, that's, that's where you would get become a deist. Right, right, right. That, right, right. that doesn't make any sense. And, and so I'm of the view that it's the same thing, that, that God... I, I, I think pantheism has some has some uh, truth to it, has a lot of truth to it, pantheism being being the the belief or the or the the theory that God is the same as nature, that nature is God. And and so on this point, let's let's pivot a little bit and and talk about what you think that the that Christians or other or other religions can do. What what kind of advice would you give them to being more open minded about science? Thank you. That is like I think the best question anybody could ask. Because and and, and I honestly believe that's one reason why if you look at some of the studies today, you'll see like seventy percent of scientists are non believers. It's because it's uh their children uh uh, Christian or whether they be Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or uh, people of faith bring up their children, they bring them up to have a fear of science. And it wasn't always that way. It was really, it was uh, when, when a child would, would grow up in the faith and they would go into uh, a seminary or they'd go into uh, Yale or Harvard, which is these great universities which were designed to inspire men of God to seek the truth. What happened to that? Right. Men of God, men of God once again need to not be afraid of science. Because science, what, what, what is, how is it going to shake your faith if you believed in Sunday school that the world was created in seven 24-hour days, and you come to find out that it wasn't seven 24-hour days, but it was 13.7 billion years. What difference does that make to the realization that you are loved with an everlasting supernatural love, and that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? These kind of uh, things should not shake your faith. They should strengthen your faith. The realization that there are multi-universes shouldn't shake your faith. It should strengthen your faith. Well, this is this is one of the the the, the again. This is a very uh, I, I think good conversation because because I personally was was raised in the in the Christian faith, and so I'm coming at it knowing knowing the way that works. Okay, now. What what you're doing though, in in the way you're approaching this, is that you've already been down this road, uh, and and maybe you came at it from different perspectives. But specifically, what I mean is that you, it seems to me, have thought through uh, what the what the Bible says, what the Book of Genesis says. You've read science books. You have a sense of wonder. You've talked about Carl Sagan and. And you and you uh, know or are convinced that there must be a God behind the scenes. Okay, it's a perfectly rational viewpoint. I I have I share a lot of what of 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 your conclusions, but then you move to a personal standpoint and 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 talking about what God can do for you and and 
and and that he has a plan and purpose for us all. You see, and that's the beautiful right, part. Right, right, right. But but the point. But here's my problem with this, and that is too many times. This is an observation, not a criticism. A criticism. It's an observation. There's too many times when those of the religious uh, side of things they jump to that point first, which is God has a plan and purpose for you. And, 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 and he knows what you're doing and have faith without going through all everything else. In other words, it, they sort of come from the conclusion and they expect people to have faith because of this personal God that, that isn't really, frankly, I don't think that is, is very scientific myself. I, I, I think that it's much more powerful to start from the premise that there is a a in a unavoidable, unquestionable wonder in the world, and even the leading scientists know, they know at their hearts that that the bare laws of nature cannot explain the wonder of the world. I think they know it. Some of them won't admit it, but most of them know it. Okay, but, right. But but then when you go to that point, it, when you get to the personal God. That I think would trouble some scientists. So, what would you what would you tell a scientist who who would say, "Hey, Bob, I followed you down this road, but but how how do you ever prove scientifically a personal God?" It was uh, I believe Saint Augustine right. was really gave us the three proofs of God, the cosmological proof of God, the God of uh, first design, and the God that changes a man's life. Right. Uh, if God didn't change people's lives, then it really wouldn't amount to a hill of beans, because they won't grow in the wintertime either. Right. And it's really, you know, the fact that God has changed my life, and he continues to. Now, like you said, I've been in the world... I uh, wasn't brought up in church. I was brought up in a bar. And uh, I went to college, and I studied great philosophers. And uh, In fact, Descartes is one of my favorites. Uh, he said, uh, Congerto ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Would you like to hear my favorite joke? <laughs> Descartes, Descartes walks into a deli. Okay, He said, I think, therefore I am. He walks into a deli. The, the deli clerk says, uh, would you like a roast beef sandwich? He says, I think not. And poof, he vanished. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my good. favorite joke. Yeah. I, I really, that's, that's how much of a one. geek I am. Yeah. Uh, but the whole realization is, if when I was a kid, uh, somebody laid hands on me and said, pray this prayer and the rest of your life will be a bowl of cherries and God will plan out your... And then the first time you trip and fall and things start going wrong in your life and your, your wife leaves you then you're going to think, well, there is no God, forget that, and run away. Right. But when you realize you live in, we live in a, a tough world. It's tough out there. But you know what? There's a good, good God that's above it all, and you can surpass all of this death. I don't know how many people I've held their hands as they passed into eternity. I don't know how many uh, parents I've had to be with when their, their children were taken before them. I don't know how many people from broken homes, but there's hope 
even in hopeless situations, there is hope. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to let you know that, that, that no matter what, you don't have to give up on life. Life is good. You well, can take a deep breath right now and enjoy that life. Right. Because right. Before we, start, we don't know what happens. Right. I, I want to uh, drill down into the personal God issue. But before I do, this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Pastor Bob Richardson about science and religion and how they agree on the creation story. We're about to talk about this question about a personal God. Now, Bob, you probably know and have heard this adage about, you know, if, if you ask somebody, are they religious? A lot of people in this day and age are saying something like, well, I'm spiritual, not religious. There's a right. lot of people who will go down this path that we've talked about, the path being, yes, Bob and, and Philip Merton, there is wonder in the world, and science cannot explain these deepest of all mysteries. Where did the world come from? Why is there order? Why does everything work together so well? Science cannot explain all this. There must be a spiritual creature behind the scenes or a, a, a supernatural force or a power, a being, a something, a mind. Designer. A mind, a yeah. something, okay? There must be. But then when you get to the personal God part of it, that's where there's a lot of people will disconnect. And, and because the question of where, where the personal God is and how one scientifically proves such a personal God is something that may not even be a scientific question. So what do you tell a scientist who is willing to go down this road with you uh, and, and concede that there must be spirit, there must be a God, H how do you get him or her to then go that next step, which is where is the personal, where is the personal yeah. God? Yeah, because, and that is really, you know, the thing that popped into my mind as you were uh, talking about this is the, the movie Life of Pi. Right. And it comes down to the end of the movie and yes, you know, which story would you rather believe? And so it is with God. Hmm. It really comes down to that personal relationship, that personal decision that you have to make. And, it, and it, that's why religion can... Uh, point you towards this personal relationship with the Creator God, with the source of unlimited potential. But only you can enter in. Only you can say, okay, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to buy faith. And that's where it has to be by faith. Because there's no way scientifically to prove, there's no way scientifically to define joy how can you have joy in the midst of sorrow? How can we, we, we realize that our joy is, uh, ends up being forged in these fires of adversity? How, how can this happen scientifically? That just doesn't make any sense. But when you put in the relationship that you have with a God that's beyond this, where you know that even though our bodies are corruptible, 
someday we're going to be able to put on the incorruptible. Even though, yes, the, the sun is going to red nova. It's going to supernova. That's just packed. Well, I think you're going, I think you're, you're on to something here, but I, I want, I want to stress something, and that is, first of all, Nietzsche had, had, this, had this phrase, aphorism, that where he said something like, uh, if God didn't exist, mankind would have to create him, because we need this crutch. Or some people need the crutch. It's and and that that to me is a, is a very sort of deep observation that Nietzsche made there because it raises the question of do we sort of project this personal image because it's hard to associate with this amorphous spirit? <laughs> you know, if you say, I mean, it's hard to yeah. pray to the source. What the heck is the source? I mean, uh-huh. I mean it sounds it sounds it sounds good and a lot and there's a lot of people who do meditate upon the source or brahman or whatever name we're calling the base of reality but it's a little easier to personify the source and and to have that kind of guardian angel of sorts that you are actually projecting so do you think that it's that this the personal God is a is is more of a human projection, or do you think that such a personal God really exists? That's where it really proved itself. Right, God has proved Himself in the person of Jesus, and it's where you know a lot of people will talk about God, they'll talk about religion, they'll talk about being spiritual, and, it, and, it, and everything's, and that's fine, and, and in the public forum, you could, you could talk all about God that you want, but as soon as you start mentioning Jesus, then you, people start thinking that you're, you're a Jesus freak, you're right. a conservative fundamentalist, you know, right. but we have to realize that, that the whole image, the fullness of God was in this man, Christ. And if you follow him and his teachings, then you don't point fingers at people. Then you don't say, oh, that, that we're not going to have uh, homosexuals in our church. You don't say, we're not going to have these people. You realize hey, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's paid the price for us. You know, we can love one another. We can lift each other up. Right. If you look at Jesus as personal relationship that you have the potential of having with an almighty God. Right. I mean, it sounds bizarre. And the God who created these billions and billions of stars was foolish enough to put on the flesh of a man. He was, he was, he was crazy enough to, to let us spit upon him and, and, and stone him and, and nail him to a cross. That's, that's, uh, a one crazy in love God. Well, and see, he would do yeah, anything but, for but, you. But you see, and we're not going to have time to get into this because I I would say things a couple of things here that you probably would not agree with. But you see, I don't think that that could. Well, I'm just going to say it. I don't think that that could be true. I don't think that. It, the, here's here's my issue. My issue is that not everybody is a Christian, 
And not everybody is a Christian. Right, right. But but we have to find common ground among the world's religions or we're never going to have peace. And 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 not everybody so, follows so, not then, everybody follows okay, Jesus Christ. And so so that 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 to me is something that I've never no one's ever satisfactorily uh, answered that question. And, and yeah, here's my question. I am I am more than willing, and I preach it every three times a week, and every chance I get to write, I am more than willing to open my heart and my arms and my mind to anybody of any religion, any creed, any. I am I am just the most open person, and then as soon as I mention the name Jesus, I start. I get all these doors slammed in my face as if right. I'm a bigot. Right. I'm not. I'm. I, all I'm saying is that I've sought the truth, and I found it in this man. Right. And every area, every time I try to find out, okay, if I look in the resurrection and I try to say, I try to disprove the resurrection, and I challenge the most intellectual people in the world to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they can't do it. Well, to disprove, there's more proof of who Jesus is and what he did than any other man in history, and yet, well, that's because not true. That's, that, that, I like the dude, that's not true. Uh, I'm suddenly a bigot. No, that's not true. I mean, first of all, Nobody could criticize you or, or other Christians for finding the answer in Jesus Christ. That that's the way of the world. Right now right now we respect each other's beliefs. And I think what's very nice about what you've what you've done and what you're doing is that you're trying to open minds on both sides of the aisle, the science aisle, the religious aisle. You're trying to you're you're, you're looking at the religious side and saying, open your minds to science. Don't shut the doors. There's more there that supports your beliefs than undercuts them. That's what exactly. you're saying, which is good. And on the science side, you're saying, hey, guys, don't, don't uh, be guilty of the same dogma that you're accusing the religious folks of. Be open-minded as well to the the possibility, the very real possibility, that there is a supernatural being, i.e. God, behind the scenes. There's, that's, that's great. But, but we as a culture, the human culture, we, the, the world culture, we need to do a better job, in my view, of, of evolving our own states of mind so that we find common ground on a deeper level for everybody, okay? And and that it, it's going to take a long time to to go through this, okay? But but I I am troubled at any time that at the end of the conversation we we reach what I would call a dogmatic standpoint, which is that. And I'm not saying you're saying this, although you're close, which is that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth. Because after everything we've said, we wind up with, that's dogma. Isn't that dogma? That's dogma. I think I'm going to go back to my original statement. And that's why I love, you've got the most intelligent audience, I think, of anybody on the Internet. Uh, I've seen some of your guests, brilliant people. One thing I noticed about your audience and about views, you have one of the most, probably the most intelligent audiences in all of media, whether it's 
on the internet or or radio, you are your mind is, is just a, a beautiful work of art. Some of your your guests are just absolutely just blowing you away with their intelligence. And so all I'm doing is is challenging your intellectual mind and the mind of your audience and your and your in your guests to to not be dogmatic in any of our beliefs, but open our minds to the realization that there is a possibility. There is a possibility that religion and science can embrace one another, that Christianity and Buddhism can embrace one another, that a, a, a non-believer and a believer can work together to love each other. And that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to love. Well, I think and if you want to put any label on God or the source or the designer, it is love. It's love that vibrates the atom. Right. Well, I, I think there's a lot. Uh, I, well, first of all, most of what you're saying is very, very positive and good. Okay. And I think that what what we miss out on a lot is that we 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 tend to emphasize sort of some of the superficial or some of the the names, the semantics, the clothing, instead of the underlying principles. And to be very specific, what I mean and what I think you just said is that things like the golden rule need to drive conduct. And, and And we have to look at the teachings we we have a lot of work to do uh, in our in our interfaith mixed up confused scientific religious world we live in we have a lot of communication a lot of dialogue we need to work through and if anything what what we've discussed on this show that i think is important is that everybody needs to evolve their state of mind on the religious side, on the scientific mind, be self-critical, continue talking, continue being open, and maybe at the end of the day, we will have solid common ground. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm excited to tell you that in the next couple of weeks, we'll be having Michael Behe uh, as a guest on the show who wrote uh, the near classic uh, Darwin's Black Box and the recent The Edge of Evolution. Bob, thank you very much for your time. It's been quite a uh, exciting conversation we had and thank you for putting up with, with some of my questions, but I thought that was the best way to get to the bottom of this. So thank you for your time. And I, I appreciate everything that you're doing because you are having conversations beyond science and religion and that's where, really where we need to go. So thank you for having me, and thank you for letting me plug my book, The Many Shades of Joy. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com or eBay, any of your local bookstores. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.